You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This is with the first pick, the CBS Sports NFL Draft Podcast. This is episode 48. Two away from 50, Rick, if I'm math correct, I'm Ryan Wilson. That's our general manager, Rick Spielman, who has more than 30 years of NFL experience, including a decade as the Vikings general manager. And today, we are somehow talking about the 2024 draft class, specifically my 24 mock draft, which came out on Monday. You can see it on the site if you want to have a good chuckle. And to help us discuss a bunch of players we've yet to watch, Mr. Tom Fornelli, one of the co-hosts of the Cover 3 podcast, the best college football podcast on planet Earth. And they're not paying me to say that. Tom also writes for CBSSports.com. And unlike Rick, he actually puts out mock drafts during the run-up to the actual draft. So <laughs> I was hired to mock the mock drafts. That was my <laughs> role. I am a supporting cast actor in this podcast for our fearless leader, Ryan Wilson, who's the expert in the area. So all we'll I see do about is that sit there and do my supporting acting role. Rick, I'll tell you on, on Monday's cover three, uh, Tom and his co-host, Danny Cannell and Bud Elliott and, and Chip Patterson went through my mock draft and, and were with kid gloves. They were kind enough not to absolutely crush it. Like you might see on Twitter. Uh, but that actually is worth watching. I enjoyed watching that because I actually learned some things. This is the time of year. And Rick, I think you can admit, we don't know anything about any of these players unless they're named Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison, the second, and maybe Drake may. And that's why we have Tom here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will. Rick, like, I started doing mocks for CBSSports.com a few years ago, and I thought at the time, like, I like, I, I already did them on my own, kind of in my head. I was like, I'm gonna write them down, you know, publish them. And I thought it would be fun. I don't know how Ryan does as many as he does because I'm only doing them every two weeks, and it's like I sit down to do it, and it's just like, oh, it's like, why can't I just print like a list and turn that in? Why do they make me have to write blurbs for all these players over and over again? Oh, so that- don't do it. If they ask you to, don't do it. You can oh. do it like uh, Ryan. He just cuts and pastes, just moves and moves guy up two spots, cuts and pastes, <laughs> moves the guy down two spots, cuts and pastes. It's not that hard. <laughs> so you've heard, because you certainly haven't done it. But I will say, as, <laughs> as Tom describes it, that's how I did my 2024 mock draft. I was just throwing mm-hmm. darts because we've watched these guys on Saturdays when watching, you know, just watching Saturday football. We haven't studied these guys. But again, that's why Tom's here. By the way, in case you missed it, Rick and I talked about some of our favorite teams from this draft class on Monday's episode. That is in the podcast feed. And because there is no offseason here with the first pick, Rick, we'll be doing team-by-team grades somehow starting next week. (laughs) Can't wait. (laughs) Hey, Debo, I think we have vacation built into our contracts. I'm not sure. I know Rick has a contract. I know mock draft clause in his contract. But let's let's look into that. Uh, Remember, you can always watch us live on YouTube at NFL and CBS. Give us a thumbs up. What, Rick? yeah, you guys get actually get paid. I didn't know I had a contract. I, this has been all volunteer work for me. Um, you know, now that I think about it, like I get direct deposit, or at least I assume I do. Right. I don't. I should maybe look. Tom, I'll just let you know this. Me and Ryan, the only thing I've been paid so far was this with the first pick podcast golf shirt. But <laughs> all of our guests, guests that come on here that survived the full hour. Mm. We'll get a invisible T-shirt out of yeah. Debo's closet because we keep giving away. Yet no one has received that gift yet. Yeah, I've, I've covered a shirt somewhere, and that was pretty much, I think, my payment for the year. That was like my bonus. Hey, you guys, hit your numbers. Here's the T-shirt. You know what's peculiar, by the way? How is it that B Mac and Pat P have all this? Uh, what's the name of their podcast? All things covered. They have more all things covered gear than that. There's t-shirts in the nike store like i want to get to the bottom of that uh two guys worth 200 million dollars don't have to pay for clothes and debo i'm i gotta sound like rick now i'm scraping together two nickels to, to put a shirt on my back all right let's get to it people are tuning out because they don't hear about rick's struggles as he lives in his rebuilt mansion so uh one last thing and just a tease today if you if you like old tom I'm talking about these prospects 
check out the Cover 3 podcast, which, as I mentioned before, has co-host Chip Patterson, Bud Elliott, and Danny Cannell. And Rick definitely has the scouting report on Danny Cannell on a paper file somewhere. And just like us, no offseason for Cover 3. True that. As they are talking spring storylines, we'll be pretty soon talking about win totals. Download and follow wherever you find your podcast. All right, let's get to it. Debo, let's start with my 2023 mock, mock draft, which came out uh, 52 weeks ago. And I'm looking at the rundown here, which Debo puts together, and he does a great job. He says I got 14 out of 31 right. I actually got 15 out of 32, um, if we're being honest. 15 out of 31. So, Debo, you, you stole one from me. And, by the way, I'm taking Joey Porter, Joey Porter Jr., who went 32nd overall. So, I'm getting a, technically a 16. So, whatever. <laughs> I feel good about that. Uh, it doesn't matter I, to you, though, right? It doesn't matter at all. But as I mentioned at the top, this is – you're, you're like 50%, just like uh, half the fifth-year options that were filled out. This, uh, yeah. You're doing pretty good, bud, for uh, whatever, whatever background you came from, running the country from Washington, D.C. in a positive office. But uh, as another podcast, I learned a lot about Ryan when we traveled all year. And yeah. uh, one thing you have to know, he is a coffee, coffee expert, knows where all the hipster – coffee joints are i've never walked in one in my entire life so uh you say that but by the end of the trip you were wearing a beret so i don't know what that says <laughs> <laughs> all right let's look at this <laughs> let's look at this 2023 mock draft before people uh drive their cars off the bridge to, to get rick out of their ears talking about coffee and whatnot um honestly i like i i can't take any credit for it you're just sort of guessing and, and that's the reality you start with the quarterbacks so uh, Debo notes four of the top 10 picks I had correct. Will Anderson to the Texans somehow because uh, he's the best player coming out. Right. Uh, we didn't know. We knew about CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. We knew the questions about them at the time uh, to Jalen Carter. He may have been the first overall pick had not been for all the off field things. Um, I'll ask you, Tom, and some of the misses that Debo kindly notes as well. Brandon Joseph, undrafted free agent. I had him going in the first round. He went to Detroit. It feels like every undrafted free agent ended up in Detroit, Rick. Uh, Dante Demas, injury issues out of Maryland, ended up with the Ravens. Eli Ricks, maturity issues, not surprisingly, ended up with Debo's Eagles. And then Emil Ikior, sort of a tweener interior offensive lineman, also undrafted, ended up with the Colts. And the quarterbacks and uh, a safety that I had on the list that returned to school, and they definitely would not have been first-round picks had they come out. Tyler Van Dyke at Miami, Spencer Rattler, who I think is going to be 28 next year, still mm. at uh, South Carolina, and Jalen Catalone, the safety, who I think had an injury late last season. I'll ask you, Tom, what, what sort of stands out here for someone who was just guessing 52 weeks ago? Anything that gets your attention? Anything that you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe you have this guy on this list because he was not going to be a first-round pick no matter what? Uh, I mean, there was never – like, if going back to where we were when you wrote this a year ago, I, I would say no. But I will say – of the biggest misses that you had with Brandon Joseph at 18, that was probably the one where I was the most kind of like, eh, no. I just, I just, I knew because he had transferred from Northwestern to Notre Dame. Right. And he was, he was very good at Northwestern. But talking to people on the Northwestern staff, like they weren't exactly happy he was leaving because he was a useful player for them and he was a valuable player for them. But nobody was that broken up about it either. Like they were saying, <laughs> he's a, he, he, Athletically, there were some questions like, and that we saw kind of as the draft process played out. Like, he, he wasn't a tremendous athlete as much as he was just a good football player. Which, as we've seen these days, being a good football player typically isn't just enough to get drafted in the first round. And I think I had, I did have, I had Andre Carter the second on there as well. He was also undrafted, uh, which was a surprise. And, and Rick, I want to ask you this because your buddy Tom Pelissero tweeted this out just the other day. Um, and I'll just read the tweet quickly. One of the biggest commitments ever to an undrafted free agent, the Vikings signed Andre Carter II, edge rusher out of Army, to a deal that includes a $40,000 signing bonus, $300,000 base salary guarantee, a sign they believe Carter can make the active roster. So number one, that's uncommon. Maybe you can explain that. Number two, why do you think that uh, the Vikings or any other team that may have liked him this much? Why wouldn't they take him in the seventh round? You know, that that was, uh, you know, a lot of the dilemma that we went through, um, whether you take him in the seventh round, because then you don't have to compete with him in free agency. It'd be interesting to see if we, Debo, ever did some research on what exactly the guaranteed money is for a seventh round pick compared to what the guaranteed money was for Andre Carter. And I bet he profited more from 
being a college free agent than he did being a seventh round pick. So from a player standpoint, uh, we used to, like I said, everybody used to uh, kid me, I think, about all the seventh and sixth and seventh round picks I'd accumulate. And we've said this before that everybody thought that I'd trade my mother for a seventh round pick, um, which I would, but I still love her. She's <laughs> full disclosure. Well, she's, right, mom. <laughs> yeah, depends she's who's with... on the board, mom. It depends who's on the board. <laughs> yeah. it depends on how analytics look at your five, three frame. <laughs> Jeez. I can't wait for your brother to hear this, by the way. Uh, but the, the question was, you know, if I'm a player, I'm excited because not only do I get to choose where I want to go. And if I have three or four teams bidding, that's why that numbers got so high. And when you're talking about a college for agent, you go to those numbers, you say, worst case scenario, he's on our practice squad. So what's that going to cost us for the year? But with the numbers that we're throwing out uh, to get him, uh, they definitely, I agree with you, think that he's going to make the roster and that he was a draftable player. And we have to do some research, but look at that contract number and where would that actually fit uh, with the guys in the sixth and seventh round from a draft standpoint. Let me ask you, Tom, about the quarterbacks I had on this list that, that went back. I don't, I mean, obviously Van Dyke went back for a reason. Spencer, yeah. I, I was glad Spencer Rattler went back. Are these guys first round talents at going forward or are we done with Spencer Rattler? Cause I'm almost tired of talking about him. I'm done with Spencer Rattler. And I, I think, you know, to his credit, like he dealt, he came to Oklahoma probably not really ready for the spotlight. I also think that he was, probably overrated like he came in he was the number one quarterback in his recruiting class but it really wasn't a very good class for quarterbacks but still when it comes to recruiting services he's the five-star number one qb so he comes with a bunch of hype he shows up at oklahoma lincoln riley you know baker mayfield kyler murray jalen hurts he's the next in line he's going to be the next superstar so there was a lot put on his plate right away and he was a freshman and he played like a freshman and he had freshman moments he was not a finished product like a lot of the guys that we have seen in recent years so he struggled. Then Caleb Williams comes in. Obviously, he loses his job to Caleb, and most quarterbacks in the country are going to lose their job to Caleb yeah. Williams. But he transferred to South Carolina, and I thought, you know, I he wasn't great. He wasn't spectacular, but I thought he was solid for the Gamecocks last year, playing in a much more difficult conference, frankly, as far as the defenses he was facing than he was facing in the Big 12. So I think when it comes to Spencer Rattler, like that kind of first-round hype, I don't think, unless he has a spectacular season in 2023, I don't think you really need it consider him a first-round prospect. He's going to get drafted. Like He's got a yeah. very strong arm. So he's going to be a second, third rounder, kind of maybe second day or early third at worst. Okay, and I'm looking at, and Debo reminded me, Phil Jerkovic keeps transferring, so he's at Pitt now. Keaton Slovis left Pitt to go to BYU, I think. Keaton Slovis always felt like a day three guy to me just because of lack of arm strength. Maybe he doesn't even get yes. drafted. Uh, Phil Jerkovic came from, originally from Notre Dame, went to B.C., and he wasn't even – I mean, the only offense at BC last year felt like from a draft perspective was flowers. say Flowers. Is there anything to take away from Jerkovic or, or Keen Slovis in terms of their NFL prospects, or is this just a situation where they're okay college quarterbacks? I think – I don't think – with you, Slovis, I don't think has much of an NFL future because of that arm strength. I thought his freshman year when he first started playing at USC, there was something there, but then he suffered a shoulder injury of some sort, and the, the just the zip was gone. Like you saw him the next season, it just was not there. So, and he's never really recovered it. So, I think he's probably done from that aspect. He might get like a like an invite to a camp somewhere, you know, something like that. But I think Yurkovic has a shot to make an NFL roster. When I watch Boston College, I know my co-host Bud Elliott likes Yurkovic more than I do, but I I feel like a lot of it was a force more than it was ever really Yurkovic. So I'm I'm not super high on him. I don't. Maybe we'll see how he does in the hit offense, which maybe we'll have a few more weapons other than one guy around him that'll help him kind of showcase his abilities a bit better. But I'm not the highest on him, though. Hey, hey Rick, hey, go I, ahead. I had yeah. an opportunity to see him play live a couple years ago, um, and he was coming off. I think he had a pretty significant injury where he missed a lot mm -hmm. of time and then came back. I was back at his first game. It was against um, Virginia Tech. On, I believe it was a Thursday night game. And I don't know the 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 game where Boston College has all the um, – The red bandana game? The red bandana game. I got an opportunity yeah. to go to there. And just my first impressions of him, and I watched him a little bit because there was some buzz about him potentially coming out two years ago. 
is that I just think he's almost too mechanical, like some of the quarterbacks that we thought. I just thought it, it reminded me of, I don't want to say Levis-like, um, but I would no say way. like those old-school Penn State quarterbacks uh, mm-hmm. that have come out that just looked so mechanical. And the, he just didn't look real natural player in position, although he does have a strong arm. But uh, as my favorite movie reference, just a bit outside on half his throws, uh, mm. that, that was a wild thing. Uh, now we got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Rick, let me ask you this. So we've talked about it before during the draft process. Now that things have changed with NIL, any concerns about these quarterbacks in particular changing schools every year to better their chances? Or do you want to see them stay put and compete to borrow a Rick phrase? Yeah, uh, I, I would say that some. it seems like everybody's chasing the money now because they can. You get one, I think, freebie as far as entering the transfer portal. Other than that, you have to be – uh, a graduate in order to transfer and play the following year, if I if if my rule knowledge is correct. But it seems like every time these guys fail at one spot, they're just going to go to another spot. So, but to me, there's a history there. So why does he keep failing? What makes you think that he goes to the next school and he's going to be have any more success, regardless if he has some better weapons or not? He's still to me who he is. So uh, Debo has a little fun fact here, Tom. So Will Levis was the highest graded quarterback, according to Scouts Inc., heading into the the process. And he was drafted outside the first round, first time since Brian Brom in 2008. I heard you guys talking about this on the Cover 3 podcast. You guys were never Will Levis fans. I know Danny Cannell throughout the process. Uh, Danny Cannell is one of the most positive people on planet Earth. You wouldn't know that to read him on Twitter. But he has never been high on Will Levis. And so you – just explain to me the befuddlement, if you will, that you guys had with the whole Will Levis situation. We we watched him play. Like, that was really. <laughs> Tell I mean, Pete Prisco. Like, no, I listen, I get it. Like, I understand what NFL teams and kind of scouts are going to like about Will Levis. He looks the part. He's big. He's got a rocket arm. He's athletic. All of that stuff is true. But he's just once the ball is snapped, it's very hit or miss. And there is a lot of kind of YOLO ness to his game. Now, last year I felt <laughs> last year was not really his fault. But uh Rick, do you know what YOLO ness is? That's a that's a millennial thing. No, I'm I'm learning this media lingo. I no, mean, this is this is something that the the kids used to say probably 10 years ago. Explain YOLO to Rick so he can enjoy the joke too. Y-O-L-O, you only live once. So there's a lot of YOLO to Will Levis's decision making. <laughs> that. That's a great. It's like I love it. Yeah, I, like, I'm, but, I'm still learning all of the like like ASAP. Wait. Right. <laughs> oh Jesus! I think my mom was saying ASAP to me when I was 12. Rick, come on. But like, <laughs> I know, but I saw I, people text me and they text me all these letters. It takes me two days to call people and figure out what the hell they're. Is it a compliment? Is it not a compliment? <laughs> Rick, people, you ran the you ran the Vikings for seventeen years in some capacity. Please don't say things like this out loud. I had people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Tom. Go ahead with the yellowness rant, which I, I I appreciated. It's just like he is. Last year, I feel like we shouldn't really judge Will Levis on because last year at Kentucky, he played behind one of an awful offensive line, and it was he was running for his life. And I felt like towards the end of the season. He was just getting rid of the ball because he didn't want to get hit anymore. He was sitting there thinking, I'm trying to get to the NFL. I'm, you know, but even the year before when that offense was playing well, the accuracy issues were a thing. And I know mentioning Pete Prisco, Pete hit the lottery ticket on Josh Allen. He was right. Congratulations, Pete. But history <laughs> shows that guys at the college level, even with the strongest arms out there, when they're only completing half their passes at the college level, guys typically don't just suddenly develop accuracy. Josh Allen, all credit to him figured it out. Buffalo helped figure it out. They worked on some things. He's a more accurate passer now. Maybe the same thing will happen with Will Levis. I doubt it. Can I ask you just on the accuracy part, because that's a lot of discussion on can you teach accuracy? And there were concerns with Anthony Richardson this year as well. Mm -hmm. Do you think that his accuracy can improve? Yeah, I think think with Anthony Richardson – there's some mechanical stuff, I think, with the footwork that probably needs to be worked on that could help. But I don't know if overall I would be super confident in Anthony Richardson ever truly being an 
accurate passer. Now, is he good enough at everything else that maybe it overcomes that some of the accuracy issues and sure, maybe he misses a few passes here and there, but he also makes some plays that nobody else in the game is going to be able to make just because he's the best athlete on the field. So you got to figure out that kind of balance, but I don't think Anthony Richardson is ever going to be a truly accurate passer. But the other thing to me, the difference between Anthony Richardson and Will Levis going back to Levis, I think Anthony Richardson is a smarter quarterback than Will Levis. I wow. think when I've watched Anthony Richardson, I, I, I see Anthony Richardson make progressions sometimes when I watch Florida's tape. I didn't really see Will Levis going through progressions that often. Now, maybe that's the offense he was in, or maybe it was just his offensive line. He felt like he didn't have the time to do it. But while Anthony Richardson still has plenty to work on in that area, I saw more of an element of him being able to do that than I saw Levis. So even though they both have issues with accuracy, I have a higher hope for Richardson being able to figure it out just because of that. So you, uh, and Ryan, if you want to go take your dog or your new puppy out to the bathroom, I'll take over from here. I got go ahead. More questions. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> the S2 score, because that was the biggest thing before the draft on, okay, his cognitive learning or whatever that was, which is part of the decision process. So you didn't put any stock into that um, when that all leaked out. Uh, I, I I don't, that's the thing. I don't really know what the S2 is. Like it's, my understanding is it's kind of like a reaction thing. Like they use for the F1 drivers, like it's green light, hit this, hit this, hit this, hit that. I, so, I mean, I think that's important. Obviously, I mean, obviously the teams think it's important if they're starting to use it, or maybe they just got sold it and <laughs> now they're using it, but it's, I, I, I didn't put much stock in that. I mean, I, I don't know that stuff. I can only go by what I'm seeing with them on the field. And to me, Anthony Richardson was the, better reader of defenses than will levis was i think will levis just kind of knew what he was doing before the snap and if it wasn't there he just either threw it anyway or he ran hey rick let me ask you um and we've talked before about the analytics and and the analytics department digging up correlations that you know existed did you figure out any things in terms of quarterback with subpar accuracy in college and that being able to be changed at the next level yeah, that, that's a little bit of the burning bush question. And we did from an analytics standpoint, we broke it down into sectors in the field. So from zero to 10 yards, left, right, middle, 10 to 20, left, right, middle, plus 20 throws, left, right, middle. And then we would break down the accuracy in each one of those boxes. And um, if he was inaccurate, plus 20 to his left, and let's say he only completed 40% of his throws, but to the right side, he completed 65% of his throws downfield. Then we were able to pull up all those throws in that box plus 20 on the left side and determine was that a mechanical issue? Maybe he's not opening his hips. Maybe it's footwork. Was it the receiver um, or was it just forcing the ball? So we tried to get down and dig down into why he was accurate deep to his right, but not accurate deep to his left. And if we had questions on the mechanical side, we'd actually send the coach down there and actually work with him. And Hey, this is the answer that we need. Can he improve his accuracy on 20 yards down the field, throw into his left coach would go down there, work him out, work through the mechanical part of it. And then when he would come back, when we went through the meetings again, then he would say, yeah, I can get this fixed or no, I cannot get this fixed because of X, Y, and Z. Right, so there's still no formula that says this can be fixed. This, you're still doing the eyeball test and sending the coaches down there and watching the tape to try to determine what what you can or cannot get out of the play, well, right? Analytics gives you the number, but it doesn't give you the reason why the number. Was it right. drops? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, what what's the reason why he's at? So you have to still go do the legwork to figure out the reason why. But the thing that I was impressed with about with analytics is they brought that to the forefront where it really highlighted something that we need to get an answer to. And before, when you're just watching the tape, you, you can see, you know, and I chart, you know, missed throws or something left to the right. But when you actually break down everything for the whole season, which is almost impossible task to do, uh, it'll bring up points like that that you want to make sure you go get the answer. All right. Before we go to break time, I want to ask you and, and Rick, um, a miracle of miracles. Tom isn't an Eagles fan. He's a Bears fan. So we only have Eagles fans work on the show somehow, Tom. You mentioned Anthony Richardson. Would you rather have Anthony Richardson right now or Justin Fields going into year three? Justin Fields going into year three. Okay. I, I didn't know. I, 
Uh, I think Justin Fields has a lot to work on still himself, but I think uh, Justin Fields has shown more accuracy through his time than Richardson has. And I also think Justin Fields actually has weapons this year at the receiving position, which he didn't really have last year. So, yeah, fingers crossed. As a Steelers fan, we appreciate you taking on the Chase Claypool situation. So, well, you're welcome, Joey Porter. So, (laughs) all right, let's take a quick break. Come back and we'll talk about this 2024 mock draft in a second. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. All right, let's talk 2024 mock draft because it is. Oh, by the way, do you know what, what date it is, Rick? No, I don't. Bio <laughs> the Cinco. <laughs> May no, the 4th. It's the nerd hey. holiday. It's the uh, nerd holiday. May the 4th be with you, Rick. I, I should have said that off the top. Can I ask uh, Tom a quick question before we get started? You no may. Star Wars acknowledgement from from Rick. Go ahead, Tom. Uh, Rick. Do you do you get Paramount Plus for free? Yes, I do. <laughs> three, two or three of us on this show get it for free. If you had to get everybody on the show gets it, I don't get Paramount Plus for some reason. You get it. <laughs> I oh. tried to spin the wheel at the Super Bowl and I didn't win it. I won chapstick. <laughs> he won chapstick. <laughs> Similar consolation prize. I mean, I will. That's my mission for May. I will make sure you get Paramount Plus. You've, you've you make get Wall Street Journal for free too. I don't know if you know that. I didn't know that. No. Really? Yeah. yeah. This guy, Tom knows. See, I know all need. about stocks now because I have a free subscription <laughs> to the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> and by the way, Rick, just a little uh, pro tip: if you don't make Debo angry, he'll do things for you. So when you come on here and start taking shots at him, uh, he's less likely to get you the Paramount Plus. That's just a little something I learned the hard way. Quit being so sensitive. That's you're not helping. <laughs> That's not a compliment. <laughs> All right, 2024 mock draft, Tom. I don't know if you have it in front of you. If not, I can mm-hmm. read, you, read you some lowlights before we get going. And Debo makes this note. It's an important one because people get angry about everything on the internet, especially when they don't like to read things, which is a common occurrence. This is reverse Super Bowl odds, as done by Sportsline. So if you hate where these your team, your favorite team is located, it's because R.J. White. R.J. White at CBSInteractive.com made this list along with the other nerds in the nerdery. This is just the, what Vegas thinks is going to happen. So at the bottom of the list, not surprisingly, the Kansas City Chiefs had the last pick of the first round. They're the team most likely to win the Super Bowl. At the top of the list uh, are the Houston Texans because they were terrible last year. Followed at number two by the Arizona Cardinals. And Rick and I previewed this on Monday's podcast. We only talked about the first two picks because I love the idea of this happening. And you guys talked about this on the cover three briefly, too. Cover three podcast too, Tom. Uh, imagine if you're sitting there one and two, and you're the Cardinals. So you have both those picks because Houston had to trade you their pick uh, in order to get back and get Will Anderson in last week's draft. And you go Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison Jr. Is there any way, Tom, that these guys are not top five picks? No, not unless they suffered tremendous injuries. Or some sort. <laughs> and I'm talking they have to lose at least two two limbs. Yeah, One limb, like, they're still in the conversation. If Caleb Williams loses his throwing arm in some sort of thresher accident or something, <laughs> maybe he falls out of the top ten, but maybe he could just learn to throw with his left hand. Right. This, what? I mean, Caleb Williams to me, like, honestly, if I'm a Cardinals fan and I'm looking at this mock and we get Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison, I'm thinking Super Bowl. I'm thinking, Kyler, go play Call of Duty. We don't need you anymore. <laughs> I just, it's... To me, like there has been so many, you know, what we do in this industry, like when a good quarterback shows up, we start like trying to find the next one. So like we're finding the ne- who's the next Patrick Mahomes, who's the next Josh Allen, so on. Like then you get Will Levis. I think Caleb Williams, of all the guys that I've heard, you know, like these guys, the next Patrick Mahomes, because he did this throw in his pro day, like running to his left and flinging across the field. As far as watching a player on the field in action, and I am not to be clear, 
saying Caleb Williams is as good as Patrick Mahomes. I'm saying of the quarterbacks I have watched at the college level these last few years since Mahomes became Pat Mahomes, he is the one that reminds me the most of Mahomes as far as playing style in the way he's able to move around, in the way he's not really looking to run, although he can. He's always moving around, keeping his eyes downfield, and then he's able to make throws from all sorts of different angles. I think Caleb Williams, he's got some stuff that needs to be ironed out. He does make a couple dumb decisions from time to time, but good luck finding the college QB who doesn't. I think he has a chance to be very very good at the next level. So you're you're not going to go out and say he is as good, but let me ask you this. When you saw Patrick Mahomes coming out of Texas Tech and Caleb Williams, the way he plays now, if you had to make a decision, mm. who would you have gone with? Mm. You know what? They're both coming out in the same class at the same time. Taking away, taking away what we know now, I would take Caleb, but you know why? I think for me at the time, just to be completely honest, I would have had Texas Tech QB fatigue. Like with Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> like you obviously, I mean, the guy was what? He got picked 10th. Like we all knew he was a really good prospect. He had a great arm. He was a very good quarterback for the Red Raiders. It's just you'd seen so many quarterbacks in that offense put up the same kind of ridiculous numbers that you kind of get, you know, the air raid fatigue with these guys when it comes to being impressed by their stats. Now, obviously watching it, you knew he was more talented than Cliff Kingsbury or Graham Harrell or any of these other guys that thrived in that offense. But there was still, in my mind, there was still skepticism. It's like, well, okay, how much is him and how much of this is just the offense that he's in? So in hindsight, I probably would have taken Caleb over Patrick Mahomes just based off what I've seen from them in school. Rick, is that some of the conversations uh, you guys had just about that air raid offense in terms of because when Patrick Mahomes came out, it was more gunslinger, less polished quarterback. I feel like Caleb's a little more polished now. But again, I haven't watched him incredibly closely, just seeing him on, on Saturdays. What do you think? I think now the probably the conversation has changed because four or five years ago, I don't know if the NFL offenses were like they are today. So mm. I think there may be a different conversation today than it was four or five years ago. I remember, you know, talking about Lamar Jackson and okay. He's an athlete, got a strong arm. I don't think he was a very accurate quarterback when he came out of Louisville, um, but he was a tremendous athlete. So the question was, and I thought Baltimore did a great job of adjusting an offensive scheme to fit his strengths. And I think teams, are doing a better job, if this makes sense, of adjusting the scheme to the type of talent that's coming out than in the past. Uh, you would just eliminate a quarterback or he can't play in our system. We're not changing our system, the whole system for this player. So I think the philosophy has changed because of the type of athletes that are coming out of the collegiate level at this position now. Uh, Rick, let me ask a follow-up. Let's say Caleb Williams, he's listed as 6'1", 215 here as we, we look at the, the mock draft. Let's say he's 5'11", 215. Do you care? Did I care about Bryce Young? No, you didn't. So <laughs> that that's not a very uh, journalistic type question. Well, I want to get you on record so I, <laughs> so I can come back and call you out. That's that's uh, you, you sound awfully defensive, so you might be worried. So we have the tape of that. And Debo keeps extensive records of being able to call people out in the most inopportune moments. One of the following. Um, ask ask, ask uh, Mr. Smarty Pants on the other side of the uh, mic. How, what was the uh, dollar bet total this year? that I actually have won, won a belt, a championship belt, oh, which, again, I don't get Paramount Plus, but I think I <laughs> you get a belt. belt so, or, uh, Tom, Tom listen to this. To hang in the back of my uh, office here. Oh, gosh. Listen to this, Tom. So uh, Rick just learned about odds, betting odds, mm -hmm. a few weeks ago. And every bet that we made, he beat me 14 to 7, I believe, all the $1 bets. Over so throughout the draft process, we make $1 bets. But I got zero odds. So it's it was things like, would Bryce Young go before – uh, Sean Clifford. And I would say, okay, I'll take Sean Clifford just to appease you. And of course I lost that one dollar bet. And and he just actually not a bet. <laughs> so next Sean, year go ahead. Sean Clifford, who Will Levis could not beat out for the starting job at Penn State, by the way. I actually Sean texted, Clifford. I texted Pete on our thread, me and Rick. I said, Pete, what would you have done if Sean Clifford had gotten drafted before Will Levis? Because it was pretty close. It was much closer than anyone thought. <laughs> I think Joey Harrington may surprise some people this year. <laughs> <laughs> That's from 2007. If you're listening, Debo played a. He's been waiting to hit play that clip of uh, Pete doing a stand up from 
uh, what was that? Atlanta Falcons camp back in 2007. He has a head full of hair and he loved Joey Harrington. So that's his Will Levis uh, comp, I would imagine. Um, all right. Let me ask you this, Rick, before we move on. I asked you Monday, but I'm going to ask you again until I, I uh, get you to say what I want. I know Kyler's contract is complicated. If you have the first two picks and you're the Arizona Cardinals, is there any way you're not taking Caleb Williams and probably Marvin Harrison Jr.? Well, according to Tom, Caleb Williams will definitely be better than Patrick Mahomes, so I'm going to go yes. with his area of expertise. <laughs> probably better than Tom Brady, too. So, I mean. <laughs> hey, Tom, that's the exact – you lean into it and you don't give him any – you suffocate him with his own silliness. Um, all right, let me ask you this. So, I don't know, maybe radio recently someone asked me, Tom, is Marvin Harrison Jr. better than Jamar Chase? He's a better route. He's, I mean, it's funny, Marvin Harrison Jr., it seemed like he had a pretty good coach growing up on how to play the receiver <laughs> position because he is very proficient and very technically sound, and I think that works to his benefit. He's also you know, a large man, very talented, but... I don't know if I'm going to say he's better than Chase just yet. I think he has the chance to be better than Jamar Chase, which not many guys have. But I also <laughs> think that if you look at that Ohio State receiver room in the last few years and the guys that they have continuously pumped out in first under the draft, even his coach Brian Hartline will tell you it's probably the most talented one he had in his entire time at Ohio State. And that's saying a lot when you look at those guys. So – He's got a chance to be very special too. Yes. So like like I said, if I'm a Cardinals fan and I'm reading that mock and I see Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. coming to my team as rookies, I'm thinking Super Bowl contenders right off the bat. Is that fair, Rick? Super Bowl contenders? I think so. Yeah, why not? We're in uh, May. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, Rick Debo uh, just uh texted me your historical rankings for your top uh 10 wide receivers past five classes. And I'll ask you just yes or no. Is Marvin Harrison at the top of this list? I'm going to read the list in a second if you need a refresher. Yeah, I don't remember. I mean, all right, here was... we go. I'll start from the bottom and okay. you tell me where to stop. At number 10, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Number nine, T. Higgins. Number eight, Jahan Dotson. Number seven, Quentin Johnston. Here's a list if you're watching on YouTube. Number six, Devontae Smith. Five, Jalen Waddell. Four, Garrett Wilson. Three, C.D. Lamb. I'm pausing. No stop. Now, okay. Now I want to see this next one. Hold on. Two, Justin Jefferson. Oh my gosh. One, Jamar Chase. So Marvin Harrison Jr. is your favorite wide receiver as we sit here in May against these 10 wide receivers, many of whom have been incredibly successful early in their NFL careers. Am I hearing that correctly? I'm, you're hearing that correctly. And the reason wow. I'll say that is you can't help but watch him a little bit on tape. And I, I haven't done the evaluation part of it. But the one thing unique about his size and his route running ability is that I always try to look at the flexibility in the upper body and some of the way he adjusts to the ball reminds me of Justin Jefferson. Uh, I think Jamar Chase, I mean, he, it's, that speaks for itself. But Jamar Chase makes some incredible catches too. But there's just something unique about Marvin Harrison's junior flexibility and his ability to torque his body in awkward directions to make spectacular type catches. So that was, you know, I remember going back and I learned that when we, he wasn't fast, uh, but one of my first couple drafts in Detroit when I was just a young scout was uh, Herman Moore mm. and his ability to torque his body for a six, four guy to me, like a chase Claypool, no, no, no offense to the Chicago people. <laughs> he's fast, he's physical, but he is tight in his upper body when you try mm -hmm. to see him turn and adjust. Where uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. is as nimble as they get and as flexible as they get on how he can torque his upper body to make some incredible type catches. So, Tom, I'll just tell you, we were the Ohio State Pro Day to watch um, C.J. Stroud. And Rick it's wouldn't even... Jigba and Dewan Jones, who didn't work out, but we'll not go down that road again. About that. Paris Johnson Jr. had a good workout. Luke Whipple had a good workout. But primarily to see the quarterback. And we saw the other players as well that got drafted and some who didn't. But Rick would not even let me bring up Marvin Harrison Jr. Because he's like, I don't want to talk about it. He's still going. He's going back to school. But I could tell in Rick's eye, he was very excited about Marvin Harrison Jr. Because he caught the passes from C.J. Stroud in that workout. And Rick, I don't think it's 
outrageous to say that people were as focused on Marvin Harrison Jr. thinking down the road as they were on CJ. Yeah, because of the show that he was putting on. Yes. I mean, it's it's hard to you know watch uh, all these guys work out that are very good football players, but then you see someone that's an exception. Um, it's hard to not not watch that as well. All right, Although, yeah, million yeah, friends don't bring him up during a pro day because then you're not going to be able to go back to Ohio State with me next year. So <laughs> go ahead, Tom. See, that was that was one million percent intentional on Ohio State's part. They wanted you, you to watch Marvin Harrison. They wanted you watching him. They did. They wanted to build the buzz. I'm telling you right now. Well, they, it's they a, it was intentional. Yeah. All right. Let me ask you this, um, Tom, about the Ohio State and Marvin Harrison, and then we'll move on to the quarterbacks I have on this list as well. Does Ohio State beat Georgia if Marvin Harrison doesn't get knocked out with a concussion? I mean, they nearly beat Georgia after he got knocked <laughs> out with a concussion. So <laughs> I think you – I'm not going to say they would, but they probably would have had a better chance because, I mean – Georgia's secondary couldn't cover him. Mm-mm. Like, he was getting open routinely against that team. And, like, they, they were clearly selling out, bringing pressure under the premise that C.J. Stroud can't play when there's pressure in his face. And I thought that was C.J. Stroud's best game at Ohio State. And Marvin Harrison was ripping that secondary apart. So, I would say, considering Jordan needed a last-second field goal to beat Ohio State after Harrison, yeah, they could have beaten him if Harrison stays in that entire game. And maybe they would have. Not to go off script here, but does that – in your mind, um, justify why there should be an expanded playoffs or when they is there shouldn't be an expanded playoff. There should not or should shouldn't. You don't need more than four teams. There's there's, what if if Ohio State did not get in that game? Then Georgia would have won the national title. (laughs) (laughs) Which is exactly what happened. Please have me on as a guest on your podcast because Listen, listen, Mr. NFL, stop trying to turn college football into the NFL. In every, I'm going to go on a rant. In any given year in college football, there are never more than two good, great teams anyway. We don't need four teams. It's the same. We're just going to win it if you put in two, if you put in four, if you put in eight, if you put in 16. It's going to be Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, or one of those teams winning it every single year anyway. And people bring up the FCS has 16-team playoff, Right. Parody, parody, parody. Look at the last 20 years of FCS champions. It's like three different schools. There's no parody. It's the best teams winning every year. Anyways, let's go back to the 2024 early mock draft. Well, quickly, and I'll, I'll tell you this story that you'll appreciate, Tom. Quentin Johnson. I think it was Quentin Johnson that we talked to at the Combine. And, Rick, maybe it was you. Maybe it was Danny. I'm going to say it's you, and if it's not, you can correct me. But um, someone asked Quentin Johnson, if you played Georgia 10 times, how many times are you going to win that game? Was that you, Rick? No. Must I wouldn't been, ask a question like that. It was Danny then. Zero. And, and Quentin Johnson took a long pause and he said, uh, I think he said something like maybe three or four. And he was being oh. he was being <laughs> as liberal as he possibly could have been about that answer. But the fact that he took that long pause, because you've asked a Georgia player that had they lost Ohio State, the answer is nine point nine times out of ten. So that just sort of support supports what Tom's saying. Well, I'm just saying you never know when an app state comes up and bites a Michigan in the rear end. That's what makes the, that's why the NCAA basketball tournament is so exciting. I won money because somehow I ended up with San Diego state. And your, uh, your, how about your daughter did it? I want you to give your daughter credit <laughs> somehow. Who, but who won in the end of the NCAA tournament, the blue blood or San Diego state FAU? Oh, uh, they got the San Diego state got ripped off. It was exactly. more officiating. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez, here we go. All right, let's talk about these quarterbacks quickly. So I'll list the names on there, and you can make fun of the ones that you want to, and maybe tell cool. me some names that, that should be on there too, Tom. So Caleb Williams, we've talked about. Drake May, I had him going forward to the Commanders, replacing his former teammate at UNC, uh, Sam Howell. Quinn Ewers at sixteen. I'm interested to see how long he starts. I thought last year when he was healthy, he looked pretty good. My guy Bo Nix at seventeen, and just so you know. I was listening to the podcast on Monday, the Cover 3 podcast, Rick, and Danny Cannell made the bet that if Quinn Ewer, uh, excuse me, Bo Nix gets drafted 16th or higher, he will grow a beard to look like uh, whoever has a bushy beard. I don't know who that might be. but He's just he's, he's going to grow a beard and not shave it for a certain number of months because his, his wife doesn't like him with a beard. So Yeah, so th- everyone p- pray for Bo Nix. And finally, Michael Penix at the bottom of the first round to the 49ers. He's had an injury history, but I thought he played pretty well last year. So tell me what you think about that list, Tom, and then tell me some names that we should be watching at quarterback that's not on this list. Uh, I I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. Caleb Williams and Drake May are the one, too. I think everybody feels that way. I will say, though, while I am a Drake May fan, 
I think the gap between Williams and May is Ooh. pretty significant. And I think the gap between May and whoever you put at number three is probably not nearly as significant. Like you mentioned Quinn Ewers. I think Quinn Ewers could be the second quarterback taken. In the okay. Draft. I love it. Love it. I, I really, really like Quinn Ewers. If he'd stayed healthy, you know, we saw he almost beat Alabama, broke his collarbone. Texas still almost won that game, but he was playing fantastic in that game before the injury. He still came back, come, yeah, had his good moments, had some bad moments. He still got some stuff to work out. But I think that with Sark running that offense in that offense with his talent, he's got a chance to, he might win the Heisman this year, just to be blunt. Um, Michael Penix last year, he's inconsistent. But Michael Penix makes the most throws that kind of get you like, oh, like he I literally <laughs> I was watching a game as Washington, Oregon, and then I'll get to Bo Nix from this. Like he made a throw from the hash mark to the far sideline about like a 15 yard out just without even taking a step. You just kind of twisted at the waist and fired. And it was an absolute dart right on the money through about three defenders to his receiver. And I legitimately just on the couch watching went, ah, like it was one of those <laughs> things you just don't see guys doing at the, you don't see guys doing it in the NFL. So to see him make that kind of throw is like, Oh my God, this somebody's going to fall in love with this kid. Pete Prisco will have him as his number one quarterback in the class next year. Just calling that right now. He'll say he's better than Caleb Williams and maybe he'll be right. Um, Bo Nix. It's hard. It's it's difficult. Like, I, what are you laughing I, at? I, I don't blame you for having him in your early mock because if if he's the Bo Nix that we saw last year, I think he could play his way into the first round. It's just I also remember Bo Nix at Auburn, and Bo mm. Nix at Auburn was a hot mess. Mm. Bo Nix at Auburn was you just sat there and waited for him to do the really dumb thing that was going to cost his team a game. Now, occasionally – he would do a dumb thing that won his team the game. And you'd be like, all right, there, that's the Bo Nix experience. But so you have to figure out, was it the offense he was in? Or was it just the fact that he was playing in the SEC against much better defenses than he faces on a regular basis in the Pac-12, which is not to say the Pac-12 doesn't have good players on defense. We saw a couple of them go early in the draft just last week. But overall, the Pac-12 is nowhere near the SEC. So he goes and plays easier competition and he has a better performance. So that's going to be the thing to me that's always kind of questionable about me to Bo Nix. Of guys you don't have in your first round, we kind of touched on Tyler Van Dyke. I'm a, I am I like Tyler Van Dyke. I don't okay. think he's going to be, I don't think he's going to be a first round pick because I hate his coach. Well, hate <laughs> is not the, hate's a strong word. I hate what his coach does on offense. Okay. Keep in mind, Mario Cristobal is the guy that made Justin Herbert look like a pretty average guy at Oregon. And then Justin Herbert goes to the NFL and, oh, my God, this kid's incredible. Why weren't the, Why was he turning around and handing the ball off 70% of the time right. at Oregon if you had this? So that's what, passes. Mm-hmm. And that's what I worry about Mario, who's a very defensive-minded kind of conservative coach, is going to do to Van Dyke in that he's not going to let him, you know, take the Ferrari out of the garage nearly enough. An- another name that I would keep an eye on, I think he's kind of poised for a break forward. He struggled in the playoff last year. He threw the two pick sixes, but I like JJ McCarthy. I think that. Oh my... yeah, that wasn't. I was my secret guy. I had him in my back pocket, and uh, oh. Debo mm-hmm. didn't put him on, even on the list. Of yeah, potentials. I, I think from like the size aspect, from the talent aspect, from running his mobility. I mean, I think he's a little too one sided of the field. I think he's a little too far to the right right now. He's probably got to show a little bit more ability to go to his left. But I think that with another year of coaching and another kind of just more progression, he is a guy that if Michigan has another very solid year and he's a big reason for it, I think he could play his way into the first round conversation. I think he could play his way into being the third quarterback taken mm. conversation. I think mm. he's a, I just like him that much. I'm not saying it will happen. I'm just saying it's something to keep an eye on. Somebody who rarely gets mentioned when it comes to this stuff. Let me uh, ask you, Rick. <laughs> How's he your rat hole player? Have you been cheating on me and watching this guy or you just from watching him on Saturdays? Well, no, it's when I'm watching the running back and I'm watching the tight end, mm-hmm. I'm watching the quarterback. And mm-hmm. this kid's very athletic, I think. And I think he, his accuracy has to improve down the field deep. But this guy has some off-schedule playmaking ability because of his athleticism, which I think translates to what the NFL, what we're talking about earlier, uh, yeah, there's some technical things that he has to work on. Sometimes he's throwing off his back foot doing this or that. But the physical traits and some of the playmaking ability, I don't think Michigan would get where they were at without the way he played. So I always try to see, is this quarterback 
carrying his team probably beyond what their talent is. And not that Michigan's not talented. They have a lot of talent. But I would think – I thought this kid took it to another level this year. Why they, in the past, haven't been able to beat Ohio State. But since he's been quarterback, I think two years now, they have beaten Ohio State. And they have gotten in the playoffs. So I think this kid and, – and why I think they'll be able to potentially get in the playoffs next year because of the way this kid plays the position. You mentioned watching the running back. What do you think of Blake Corum? I'm interested for your thoughts. Yeah, he remind uh, he is a very uh, I would say excellent vision. Plays with great balance, uh, contact balance, always going forward. I think he has enough speed to get the to finish plays. I thought they losing him this year was a, was a big blow when he got injured and couldn't finish. Uh, but I really like him, and I I don't know. You know, we have this argument on the running back. Cl- uh, class whether they should be taken in the first round or not I classify them different is I don't want to be prejudiced and label them as just running backs like I thought Jameer Gids is more than just the running back I thought B. John Robinson is more than just the running back and I don't know how well he catches I think he catches well enough just off what I can recall um, but I think this kid he's like a bowling ball rolling mm-hmm. full butcher knives rolling down the field the way he plays and how aggressive he is as a runner. And I think he has great vision and great quickness to elude in small spaces. He also has, he also has some of the most impressive ankles I've ever seen as far as his ability to make cuts. Cause there are times where like he plants his foot in the ground and his ankle is just like at this kind of an angle and he's not losing any kind of speed. It's remarkable to see. Yeah. He's a zero goes from zero to 60 pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Stop, start water bug, whatever you other things you want to describe them as. <laughs> All right, let me ask you uh, about, uh, and I joked with with Pete about this, but I was only half joking. Is it unreasonable to say that Devin Leary is going to have a better season next year at Kentucky than Will Levis did this year? Yeah. You don't um, think he's going to, you think Devin Leary is going to be worse than Will Levis? No, I just don't know if he's going to have a better season because A, that offense is that offense. It's very conservative. It's but gonna, they have a new the coordinator. Yeah, they, they, they brought back. they brought Liam Cohen back, but I just the offensive line has to take a massive step forward from what we saw last year. And in, mm. in its defense, it'd be hard for it to be worse. But Devin Leary, <laughs> I just Devin Leary was ba- been banged up quite a bit. I don't yeah. know how healthy Devin Leary is. That's the mystery to me. If Devin Leary is one hundred percent healthy and his shoulder and everything is okay, that's a good quarterback who is probably going to be a first couple of day draft pick. If he's not. Then I mean I just uh, I, it's it's hard because he doesn't he's not the most athletic guy he's not you know he's just he's he's got an accurate arm and he's smart and he makes good decisions but if his if the zip is gone that's going to be a problem for him. All right, let me ask you about one of these guys. I'll, I'll list some names. You tell me which one you think has the the best chance to have a good season and, and make some noise draft wise. Jordan Travis, Sam Hartman, who transferred from Wake, he's now at Notre Dame. Jaden Daniels is at LSU. If I'm wrong, let me know here. Um, Joe Milton is at Tennessee, I believe, replacing Hinton Hooker and then KJ Jefferson at Arkansas. Which one of these guys you think has the best chance to? Oh, and also, I'll, I'll remember, I'll add to this list as Debo notes real quick. Uh, some guy at Colorado, Shadur Sanders. Oh, yes. I, I have no I have no idea on Shadur just because I haven't seen him do it against the kind of competition he's going to face this year. Like, right. he's playing a team the last few years that was far and superior talent-wise to the teams they were going against. Uh, as for the other guys, <sighs> Jaden Daniels' accuracy issues are going to be a problem. Jordan Travis, I think, is electric. I just don't know if he's got the overall size and skill set to be a kind of early round draft pick. Sam Hartman to me is, I mean, he's going to Notre Dame because he wants to show that he's not just, you know, he, he can play in offenses besides that Wake offense, which That's is a weird know, very offense, yeah. delayed kind of, you know, RPO kind of stuff. The mesh, the really, like where they hold it there for five minutes before they make the decision. I think Joe Milton is the one who could skyrocket. Ooh. To me, this is Joe Milton. Was, I was actually kind of ticked off at you for not putting him in your mock because he would have been the easy choice to be this year's Will Levis. That's a great point. I will say our guy, Emory Hunt, said Joe Milton should be in there, and I said I'm going to ignore you just out of spite, but apparently that blew up my face. Joe Milton has an astronomically strengthed arm. Like just (laughs) the way he throws the football. The problem with Joe Milton is Joe Milton can throw a football 100 yards, but if the receiver's 10 yards away from him, he's throwing the football like he's 100 yards away. (laughs) 
Like it is all gas, no brakes, every single throw. He needs to kind of develop some touch and just realize he doesn't have to throw it as hard as possible every single time because it it impacts his accuracy. If he could just learn to take some juice off, I think his accuracy would improve. But how much it will improve, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see in that offense if Josh Heupel can kind of, you know, groove him in and get him going because they also have a guy behind him, an incoming freshman who mm. they, according to, depending on who you ask, they paid $8 million to get. So pretty talented. So if if Milton struggles, because we saw Milton started at Michigan, didn't earn the starting job, transferred to Tennessee. He's been the backup to Hendon Hooker the last few years. So it's not like he's a guaranteed guy to keep the job. But if he does and he grows, he's got the size and the arm that is going to attract a lot of attention. Rick, we talked a lot about Will Loves with the lack of touch. How do you is that coachable or is that how do you how do you approach that? I don't know. I mean, to me, that's a little. <laughs> I wish I knew I wouldn't be doing his podcast. I'd still be working in the NFL. <laughs> Fair enough. Were you going to ask a question? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think that's a little bit of a uh, a uh, instinct or an aware. You know that just. And like I said, when we watched, and the only reason I'm saying that, I don't want to pick on Will Levis, but when we were at that pro day, when he tried to put touch on the ball, it just looked forced. And, mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden the accuracy fell off. The ball was wobbling a little bit because he's trying not to knock the, the receiver over five, on a five-yard choice route or whatever the heck they're doing. So I don't know if that can be taught or not. I was going to ask you the other guy that was intriguing just because of his size and athleticism was the uh, quarterback at Arkansas, Jefferson, mm. because he flashes some things. That, and again, watching some you know tape and not really watching these guys, but you, you, you notice some things on tape on him just with his size. I mean, he looks mm. like a giant and uh, he has a looks like he has a strong arm as well. I just don't know about some of his decision-making and things like that. Um, but he's uh, he seemed like someone that may be on the radar down the road as well. He's somebody, I think, who could play his way in. He's in an offense, I think, that takes advantage of his talents and his strengths because it's a lot of downfield and bubble screens. There's not a whole lot of in-between in that offense, right. and I think there's a reason for it. Because I, I can't remember the exact stat. I tracked this after last season when Traylon Burks was coming out of Arkansas, who ended up in Tennessee. Like, if you looked at KJ Jefferson's passing yardage for the 2021 season, about 55% of it was Traylon Burks after the catch. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's it was like he's got he's got the size, he's mobile, he's not really fast, but he can run, he's hard to tackle. It's just can he make the in-between the intermediate stuff? That I really haven't seen. And I think that's probably unless he kind of shows some sort of growth in that department, it's gonna be difficult to really evaluate him. Debo notes that Joe Milton will be 24 by the next draft, so that's just something to keep an eye on. Hinton Hooker, was, chicken. yeah, Hinton Hooker will be 25 when the season starts. Uh, the guy he is following in Tennessee. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and do a little rapid fire questions with our guy Tom. Right after this, first. all right, let's ask Tom some rapid fire questions that we can get out of there. I'm sure Debo's trying to go back to sleep. He's on West Coast time. Uh, all right, uh, Tom, looking at this 2024 mock draft. Any outside of Caleb and Marvin Harrison, any surefire studs, guys you convinced will definitely be first rounders 12 months from now. Yeah, I didn't even have him on there. It's uh, JT Tui Moalau from Ohio State. Yeah, I got a lot of pushback for forgetting him. The highest state. Defensive end, DT, kind of play both. I think he's probably, hell, he could play linebacker. He could play safety. Maybe you could put him at slot corner. I don't know. He's just a tremendous athlete, very powerful very quick. He's got the motor. He's got everything you kind of want from somebody in that position. I think he'll be a top five pick. I think he could be in play for the number one pick, depending on the kind of season he has. I just think he's that good. And I think that Ohio State overall, one of the things that has hurt them the last couple of years in relation to Michigan has been the defense that had been producing the Boses and Chase Young and all those guys really kind of lacked that premier edge rusher the last couple of years. Yep. I think Tuyomalau kind of took over that spot. And I think Jack Sawyer is another guy on that defensive line who's probably going to have a pretty big season. So for Ohio State, these are good things coming into the year because that secondary I still don't think is fixed just yet. And uh, what's the linebacker's name? Tommy, he came back. Eichenberg. I like Tommy Eichenberg, too. Not as a first-round pick, but I like him as a, as a hard-nosed player uh, at the mm-hmm. linebacker position. You know anything about hard-nosed linebackers from Ohio State, Rick? No. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing comes to mind. Probably the first, as far as I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll call him a trailblazer. All right. Surprise, <laughs> riskiest picks 
uh, that I had picks per low probably uh, on this list that is, let's be honest, it's a lot of guessing. Um, I mean, I don't know that I would, there's any risky pick. I don't, I, the running back you have on here, Raheem Sanders and um, who was the other one you put on? Trevion Trevion Anderson. Anderson, yeah. I think they're both very good, but kind of like Rick was saying earlier, where he doesn't view Jameer Gibbs as just a running back, doesn't view Bijan as just a running back. I don't think Raheem Sanders and Trevion Henderson are in that kind of class as far as being somebody who will be a first-round pick. I don't think that running back exists in this class. Maybe one will emerge as the season goes on. So I wouldn't have them in there. And then just to fight back on my own homerism, you've got Johnny Newton, Jerjon Newton from Illinois, the defensive tackle. I love him. I think he's a very good player. I don't think he's a first-round pick. I, it's going to depend on the measurables because he is only like 6'2". He's 295. He's big, but I don't think he's got, you know, when it comes to the interior linemen these days, what they're looking for is guys who are more explosive and like getting as far as disruptive from the middle of the pass and passing off against the pass. He hasn't really shown that to a great extent. And just arm-wise, again, we got to get the tape measures out because it's really impossible to do that for most of these kids. I don't know if he has the ideal length. I think Johnny mm. Newton is a top 75 pick. I don't think he's going to be a top 32 pick. What were you laughing at, Rick? My pitcher was on there. I finally oh, got there he is. <laughs> Saying something smart, probably. Can I throw a guy's name out there? Uh, I know he's a forgotten man yeah. uh, with the emphasis on left tackles. And I liked him about two years ago. Didn't play much last year. I understand he needs to get more physical, but I thought for left tackle length, and feet and athleticism and pass protection, what I think he does best. He needs technical work. I wish he gets a little stronger in the run game, wish he had more grit and finish to him. But athletically, I think he's going to get overlooked. There was a left tackle at Miami of Florida. Zion Nelson. Yeah. Oh, boy. They talked about him on the podcast. Go ahead. Unload on him, Tom. No, go. No, I'm just I, saying I, we're, we're shooting darts at the board right now, right? Yeah. But if he comes out – how many left tackles do you have on your list here? <laughs> I will say, like, Hello. Yeah, I'm doing it right now. Okay. The, yeah, call, send me the $100 after. See you. I call him the old Aunt B phone there with that ringtone. <laughs> Go ahead, I will Tom. say, like earlier when I was talking about Tyler Van Dyke at Miami, and I always have serious concerns about his coaching at Miami as far as a quarterback, Zion Nelson as a left tackle is somebody who I don't have any concerns about with his coaching because there's one thing I don't worry about, Mario Cristobal teaching a guy how to play tackle. So I wouldn't be shocked at all if Nelson played his way in the first round. Oh, interesting. Because I know that um, Bud Elliott, your co-host of Cover 3, is not a huge Zion Nelson fan. As Debo notes, I had Zion Nelson in my 2023 mock draft. He had some injury issues last year. Yeah, he only played two games, I think. Uh, But I was at a couple of games, and then I don't like – I wish he was more physical. I'm just saying right now someone to keep an eye on because see how left tackles come up the board, especially if they're athletic and they can pass protect. Uh, He may be maybe a sleeper. I'll also say when it comes to Bud, anybody wearing a Miami uniform is kind of starting lower than everybody else to begin with, and they've got to work their way out. Bud's a Florida State guy. All right, I'm going to ask you one last question. This is not on the rundown. Uh, but as a Bears fan, if Olaf Fashanu, who has a chance to be offensive tackle one. Draft him. If the, <laughs> draft if, him. If, if, if he had come out in the 2023 draft, he had just turned 20 years old, should the Bears have stayed at number one and taken Olaf Fashanu? Oh man. Um, no. Oh. Because if if you I love him. I think he I think he's, he's the best tackle in the class next year. I think he could be the number one pick in the class next year. But as far as what the Bears need, I think trading down and getting DJ Moore the extra picks is probably more important to the Bears in the long run than just getting one tackle would have been because I mean they they really do like Darnell Wright at right tackle, and they also really like Braxton Jones at left right. tackle, who they got in the fifth round last year. I think they feel pretty comfortable with it. Now, had nobody been willing to take the trade and move down because you know Fashanu was maybe the number one player in the class over the quarterbacks, then I think they would have taken it. But I don't think I, I think I'd rather have Darnell Wright, DJ Moore in those picks than Alou Fashanu. Rick, you were shaking your head. Why? No, I, I, you, I mean, you've been crowing about this guy, you know, all last year, and I wasted a whole day watching him on tape, and he ended up going back to school. You so, love him, though. You love yeah, him. He was, he's pretty good. <laughs> but you wouldn't take him, if you're the GM, you wouldn't take him number one either. You do what Tom suggests and take yeah, that. No, yeah, yeah, I would take him over Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr., then I'll be doing podcasts like I'm doing now. But what about last year, If he or this the last week, if you still had the number one pick? No, because I think, 
where, where the bears were and how many needs they, and how many weapons they had to get around to see if Justin Fields is the answer or not, I think they would have made the right decision. And they still had enough uh, draft capital to move up if he was like number four or five to potentially, okay, now we can go get this okay. guy. Right. But they, they are, they like their um, uh, left tackle a little bit. Mm-hmm. I know he kind of held up and I thought it was a great, not only filling a need, but a great choice to go get Darnell right. And will they move Jenkins uh, to the to, as a guard? I believe so. I mean, I, I think right now your line is going to be Braxton Jones and Tevin Jenkins on the left. On the right, you'll have Nate Davis and Darnell Wright in the center. You're probably going to have either what's his name, White Hair, or yeah, White Hair, White Hair, or the guy they signed from the Packers last year who got hurt early in the season, whose name is completely escaping me. Donald, maybe I don't know. We we get names wrong at least ten times this show, so you're you're well ahead of the the curve on that one. That would right. be an offensive line in front of Justin Fields. Finally, mm-hmm. much better than last year, that's for sure. All right, Tom, I appreciate your time. You get to go do another podcast in a few moments, I believe. So uh, that is yes, it. I do. <laughs> that's a wrap on episode forty-eight. Remember, give us a thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. Subscribe to the podcast with a five-star review and all that stuff. Thanks as always to my guy Rick. Special thanks to Tom for spending an hour and 15 minutes of his time arguing with Rick uh, about uh, all sorts of football-related stuff. And thanks, as always, to Debo and everyone out there watching. We'll be back next week. <laughs>